Good morning. How are you? Who had a good Thanksgiving? All right. Who put on weight? I am so fat. My public confession. I had to confess when I came in this morning before I could worship. Lord, I'm a glutton. I ate so much food this past week. They had to roll me up to my bed. It was bad. Can't you tell? I mean, ugh. But God is good, amen. Um, we're going to have an opportunity. There's a mic there, and you're going to have an opportunity to come up and share uh, just whatever you're thankful for. Uh, it could be personal, blessing, corporate, social, whatever you want to give the give God honor for. But before we do that, I want to look at a few scriptures that talk about Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, as I've been meditating on Thanksgiving in light of the season, I'm really struck at just how pervasive this concept is in the Bible. I mean, it's everywhere. The idea of, of worship, Thanksgiving, um, from beginning to end. Early in Genesis, we see men erect an altar to the Lord and, and then begin, begin to give public acknowledgement and, and gratitude to God. And of course, you know, in the, in the book of Revelation, it ends with worship, big worship scenes, right? So it's all cover to cover, uh, thanksgiving uh, and gratitude. So let's look at a few scriptures. First, uh, I mean, there's so many. Let's just look at Psalm 103. We're just going to uh, skim over a few scriptures before you all get to publicly thank the Lord. Psalm 103, verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He satisfied my mouth with good things this week, amen? A lot of good things. The emphasis of this psalm, of course, is the soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. In other words, gratitude, thanksgiving ought to be an internal attitude, a disposition of the soul, and a, and a recognition by the mind of the goodness of God. It's something that, that it, it's, it's just the way we lean, if you know what I mean, right? We lean toward thanksgiving, toward acknowledgement. Uh, psalm 5, excuse me, uh, Ephesians 5. Jump to the New Testament. There's many exhortations uh, in the New Testament regarding uh, gratitude and thanksgiving. In Ephesians 5, it says uh, in verse 18, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says here in uh, verse 16, it says, Rejoice when? Always. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, do not quench the Spirit. And there are many, many such exhortations about gratitude in the New Testament. What we learn here 
is that an attitude of gratitude is something that we should have, not just on special days, but on every day. Amen? Not only in the good times, but also in the bad times. Amen? So this is an inward disposition of thankfulness and gratitude in spite of our circumstances. And yet also in Scripture, there's an emphasis on not only being thankful inwardly, but also giving thanks. In other words, expressing our gratitude in the assembly before others. And there's a, a, we don't have time because I want to give you guys the mic, but there, if, if you read the Old Testament and you, you see all the feast days that God established, as well as the Sabbath itself, these were intended to, to be opportunities to publicly extol the Lord and to publicly acknowledge him. So, in other words, <clears throat> these are opportunities to express the gratitude that we have inwardly on a regular basis. For example, look at, at Psalm 40, where David, we're going to look at David. In Psalm 40, in verse, it's such a great psalm, anyway, verse uh, 9 Psalm 40, verse 9, it's, uh, it reads this way. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. In other words, I've not just thought about it, and I've not just appreciated it, but I have proclaimed it, not just to myself, but to the assembly. I've, I've, I've spoken it to others. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Go to 1 Chronicles uh, 29. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, 1 Chronicles 29. This is a, a uh, David blessing the people in the congregation, being thankful in the assembly. First Chronicles 29, verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly and said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Amen? Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your right hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. For who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? He's actually celebrating... Uh, all the gifts that the people have been giving to the, to, the, uh, to the work of God. He says, For all things come from you, and of your own hand we have given you. For we are all aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all of our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance <clears throat> that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. Amen? 
David acknowledges God's sovereignty, God's provision, God's abundance. Basically, as the people were giving to God, he's saying, Lord, we're really just giving you back what you gave to us. And that's what we do when we, we publicly take an offering. We're giving back to God, publicly acknowledging that well, all that we have comes from him. And we're now giving back to him really a token as a public expression, an acknowledgement that all that we have comes from the Lord. Amen? I was perusing the internet. I came across an interesting article. Somebody said, oh boy, who said that? (laughs) You don't trust me, do you? You can look it up sometime if you want. 50 reasons we're living in the greatest period in world history. We've got it made, be thankful. That's the name of the article. There are a few interesting items in here I wanted to, I'm not going to read all 50, okay? Don't worry. But there's, there's a couple that caught my eye. Here's one you might like. You ready? Are you ready? Yeah. U.S. life expectancy at birth was 39 years old in 1800. It was 49 years old in 1900. 68 years old in 1950 and 79 years old today. Isn't that amazing? The average newborn today can expect to live an entire generation longer than his great-grandparents could. Amazing. Greg, Greg here, he'll like this one. Despite a surge in airline travel, there, there were half as many fatal plane accidents in 2012 as there were in 1960. Isn't that amazing? I hate flying, by the way. Just letting you know. Nothing personal, Greg. Here's a good one. 2% 2 of American homes had electricity in 1900. That's 1900. That's not that long ago. My grandparents were alive in 1900. It's not that long ago. J.P. Morgan was one of the first to install electricity in his home, and it required a private power plant on his property. Even by 1950, close to 30% of American homes did not have electricity. I was born in 55. Believe that. I know to young people it seemed like dinosaur time, but it really wasn't that long ago. It wasn't until 1970s that virtually all homes were powered. Isn't that astounding? According to the Census Bureau, only one in 10 American homes had air conditioning in 1960. I know this is true because I grew up in a home that had one little air window air unit. Remember those? Some of you may still have those. And man, you know, Missouri summers, right? So what did you do in the summer? Everybody laid on the floor in front of the air conditioning, <laughs> trying to get cool. One air conditioning, eight people lived in the house. That rose to 49% in 73 And 89% today, 89% of people have AC in their homes today, but the people that don't often live in cooler climates. A lot of people in California, even though it gets warm, it's not moist like it is here. Northern California, a lot of those homes don't even have ACs. They don't need them. This is a great one. Almost no homes had a refrigerator in 1900. 
It used to be called an icebox, remember? Anybody old enough remember the term icebox? I saw a real icebox in my grandparents' basement. We went over there for Christmas and we went downstairs and there was this thing, that, this big box. And they had a big thing in the area in the bottom and what they did is they put the, a huge chunk of ice in the bottom of this thing and it was somewhat insulated, right? And then you put your food in there and you close the door. It was the ice box. I still remember, you probably, you probably think, when I come to church to hear Pastor Vaughn talk about memory lane? Anyway, I remember when an, an ice truck would go up my street when I was a kid. Amazing. I remember the milkman. Oh, those were the days. Where was it? Oh, yeah. Almost no homes had a refrigerator in 1900, according to da-da-da let alone a car, of course. Today, we sell cars with refrigerators in them. <laughs> <laughs> According to the Census Bureau, the average new home now has more bathrooms than occupants. Wow. I grew up in a home that had three, eight people, one bathroom. Can you imagine? There was literally a bathroom schedule in the morning. My slot was 7.15. The average American work week has declined from 66 hours in 1850 to 51 hours. Now, these are averages, right? 51 hours in 1909 to 34.8 hours today. Enjoy your weekend. That's amazing. Here you go. You guys are like this. The average American car got 13 miles per gallon in 1975. And of course, more than 26 miles per gallon in 2013. Today, what do we, what, I don't know what the average is, probably close to 28, 30. Yeah. So what that does is, it's, although you see gas prices go up, in effect, you're getting more, so it's cutting the price, right? Here's a good one. It says, I have siblings that work for AT&T. According to the AT&T archives, a three-minute phone call from New York to San Francisco, and this is 1960. A three-minute phone call, no wait, I'm going back. In 1915, excuse me. A three-minute phone call from San Francisco to New York, New York cost $341. In 1960, it cost $12.66. And today, we pay five bucks a month, right, for texting and Unlimited talk. Not a bad deal. Last one I'm going to read. Only 4% of humans get to live in America. Odds are you're one of them. Be thankful. Amen? God has blessed us so many ways. God, I pray that our gratitude would continually be upon our lips and express itself in deeds of gratitude and service and love towards you and one another. We ask this for Jesus' glory. Amen.